Okay, let me uh, let me lead us to prayer, and we'll turn to to God's word. Our heavenly Father, most high God, we know that all things are possible with you. This morning, right now, would you take my weak mouth, our our inattentive ears, and our our cold hearts, and warm them by your holy word. Fill us with your spirit that our time together would honor you, would glorify you, your Son, and the same Spirit, one God forever. Amen. If you could turn your Bibles to to Mark chapter 16, we're going to be reading Mark Mark 1 to 8 this morning. So Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe and They were alarmed. He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And he said nothing to anyone, for... They were afraid. Sunday morning, it's the beginning of a, a new week, and uh, I, wonder, I wonder what some of you are thinking as you look to the week ahead. I'm sure some of you are excited for things you've got planned in the diary, and um, maybe some of you are heading off on holidays, you've got a date night planned, you're meeting up with friends for a coffee, grabbing a film, and um, maybe you're just looking forward to getting home and having a nap. <laughs> um, but I'm sure for some of us, um, actually, as we look at the week ahead, um, actually, we do so with, with a lot of anxiety and worry for what's coming. So um, my question this morning is, how are you feeling for the week ahead? Are you, are you anxious? Uh, concerned? Do you feel exhausted for what you, you know you've got to do this week? We know that every new week, as it comes around, uh, brings with it fresh and familiar uh, fears and uh, challenges. Uh, so what's in your mind this morning as you come to worship? What's troubling your heart, uh, causing you to worry and weighing you down? Uh, your health, kids' health, health, parents' health, maybe trouble at work or um, struggling with your studies. Um, maybe you're doing badly at school. Uh, you're getting uh, told off. Maybe there's difficult conversations you know you need to have with family or friends. Uh, you know, it's another week of fighting the, the same sins, the same temptations. Another week of uh, you know, carrying your cross for your Savior, who, who you love, but the world despises, and so despises you for. And on top of the worry for the week ahead, we all come with the week that's just gone, don't we? A week uh, full of, of, of failures, mistakes. They're still very, very present in our mind's eyes. There's regret, the shame, the guilt, the sadness. When you got laughed at, ignored. And when you looked at something you shouldn't have, 
when you, it's fine, it's fine. Um, you did something you shouldn't have, said something you, you shouldn't have. Well, will this week simply be, be more of the same? Well, the end of Mark, it offers us um, a welcome comfort as these things, uh, as we face these things during the week to come. And I'm not going to spend any time this morning kind of looking at Mark verse 9 and onwards, uh, if you're wondering. I think, I think Mark deliberately did finish his gospel at verse 8. Um, I mean, you'll see in your Bibles, it's going to be bracketed off, but separate from, from the, rest of the, the rest of the chapter. Um, and I'm just going to encourage Archie to, to head over to it. Do you want to just sit there? Okay, he's a bit sad. Until he gets bored. Um, yeah, so I, I think I mean I think the end of the gospel, probably written by early believers who just felt Mark Mark's gospel didn't really end very well. Probably a faithful little account, but um, I, I could bore you with loads of details um, about uh, why I'm convinced Mark uh, ends at uh, 16 verse 8. But um, I think that would be for most of us quite boring. Um, but uh, if you want, you can ask me later. But let, let's finally just stick with, with verse 8. Widely acknowledged as as the ending, uh, the end of the gospel, um, and. Uh, uh, and, and we'll see why I think that's a fitting ending as, uh, as we go through the rest of the passage. I think the book of Mark, um, I don't know if any of you have studied it in depth, uh, it was written to, uh, to a struggling, a scared, uh, a persecuted church, uh, one very aware of its own weakness, weaknesses, its failures, and, and anxious about what, uh, what being a disciple might involve. Well, our comfort and our hope as we, as we face those same things the eye and understanding and uh, two, two, two responses we find in Mark 16. Uh, the response of the woman to the resurrection and the response of Jesus himself. Uh, in the woman, as we look at their response, we'll, we're going to recognize our own weakness. Uh, and in Christ, uh, we're going to discover fresh hope, strength and power for the week ahead. So let's, let's first hear about uh, the woman... Um, the woman who went to the tomb. Uh, so Jesus, in Mark's gospel, he'd repeatedly told his disciples that he would die. And that then after he died, he would rise again three days uh, after he died. Uh, chapter 16, it begins on that third day. It's, the su- it's Sunday morning. Now, we're familiar with the story. We know what's coming. Uh, this, is it. this is the big moment. And we're kind of on the edges of our seat to see what happens next. But, but the tone of the text, it's, it's not one of gladness, but, but one of sadness. Quite like with the child who just kind of taken out of the room. Um, uh, th- th- these women, they, they, they don't go to the tomb expecting something uh, joyful. They go expecting nothing but a dead man. A death and despair, rather than life and hope, are in the air. Uh, notice in verse 1, the, the woman, they brought spices that's what Jews use to, to cover the smell of rotting flesh. And in verse 2, it says that they don't go to see Jesus. They go to see the tomb, the grave, the burial plot, the place where, he, where a dead body lies. And in verse 3, they're even talking, how are they going to get into the tomb? There's a big stone in the way, because why on earth would it be open? He's dead. Who would go into a dead man's tomb? It's a gloomy picture. I, there's some kids, some kids. If you if you saw someone walking down the street dressed up, I don't know, as a tiger or a clown, carrying balloons and a, and a present under their arm, you, you'd probably think, oh, that person's going to a party because they they, they, they look like they're going to a party. If you'd seen these women, 
It's kind of like they were, they were walking slowly, sad faces, carrying some flowers, uh, walking into a graveyard. You know they're going to, to mourn the loss uh, of someone who's died. These women are going to mourn, not celebrate. Now, now whether it's because of forgetfulness, a lack of attention to what Jesus had told them, simple unfaithfulness, or the trauma of seeing Jesus die. Of all Jesus' disciples, these women had stayed to the bitter end and saw him die upon the cross. Whatever the reason, Jesus' teachings, his promises to rise again, were clearly far from their minds. Do you find yourselves quick to forget the promises of Christ, the promises of the scriptures? To forget the promises of his grace in light of your sin? of his comforting presence in the face of of loneliness, his promise for strength when you feel weak. If you feel that way, you're you're not alone. You're you're certainly not alone in this room, but importantly, you're not alone uh, with these first followers and servants of Christ. These were women who had seen seen him with their own eyes, heard him with their ears, prepared meals for him, eaten with him, and even their hearts had been quick to forget his words. If we carry on in the story, looking at verses 4 to 6, when they, when they find the stone rolled away, they're greeted by a figure, this young man in white, who's clearly an angel. We know that from the other Gospels. And, and see the reaction, verse 5. It's alarm. Yeah, these women, they, they're, they're terrified. They're panicking. Uh, and verse 6, the, the first words the angel says, he, he tries, to, tries to reassure them, you know, do not be alarmed. Yep, when they see this, the, the women, they respond with fear uh, rather than faith. And I think, again, that, that's like us, isn't it? Uh, our, our hearts, we don't always receive uh, God's word for, from God's messengers uh, with rapture and excitement, do they? I think more often than not, I, I, we're made to feel uncomfortable. Our hearts shrink back. Uh, we doubt, we fear the implications of, of what's being preached, what it might mean for us. And we're afraid of what we read in the scriptures about what living for Christ looks like. Now, we'll see what happens next in verses uh, 7 to 8. And traditionally on Easter morning, uh, a lot of churches have done this throughout history. Um, uh, the, the person at the front will say, uh, Christ is risen, and everyone will join in the big chorus, and they'll say, he is risen indeed. Well, well on that first Easter morning, the angel announces, Christ is risen. Ah! <laughs> they were terrified. <laughs> this, is, this is not what they were expecting. They ran away confused, full of fear. And instead of going and telling, uh, they hide and they keep silence. Now, we know that they eventually did go and tell the disciples and Peter. I mean, the other Gospels, church history, the fact we're standing here 2,000 years later talking about it indicates that they did eventually go and tell somebody. But, but Mark, he, he's not concerned with that part of the story. He's happily, he happily wants to end the story before they do that. He wants to focus on that initial reaction of the woman. Uh, their fear, their failure, their, their faithlessness. Uh, too often, although that, although we know that, that living for well, although we know what living for Christ looks like, we have the same response, don't we? We hesitate, we grumble, get scared, turn away, just just hope nobody notices what is we said or done or not said, not done. You know, we 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 live in an age where our access to the scriptures, Christian resources, is greater than, than any generation before us. And yet, whether, whether it's in our pursuit of godliness, in our prayers, 
our relationships with other people, other believers, our evangelism. Time and time again, we know what we ought to do, but but so often we we fail to do it. Mark, uh, as he finished his gospel in this way, he probably wanted the the scare, the, the persecuted church he was writing to, probably in Rome itself, he wanted them to see themselves in these terrified and silent women. He wants us to recognize ourselves in them, our own weaknesses in theirs. I think it is also important to notice that I don't think Mark's just simply kind of wagging his finger at the woman saying, look how bad they are at being Christian, um, or tutting at them loudly as a, as, as a way to say, look, do better than these women. I don't think he's doing that at all. Because after all, what the woman experienced, was, it was terrifying. And no one in Scripture ever comes face to face with an angel uh, and uh, without being filled with fear, uh, falling to the ground, terrified. And I think we, we have to admit that discovering that a man who was dead is now back to life, uh, risen back to life again, that, that's a pretty terrifying thing. All right? People often kind of mock Christians, you know, how, you know, how can you believe someone has risen from the dead? As if we think that's normal. Like, the resurrection isn't normal. And there's some pretty terrifying implications for, for the people in the world when we consider that someone has actually risen from the dead. Now, all that being said, given what we know Jesus taught about his resurrection, I mean, the response clearly is wrong. It's the wrong response, but I think Mark's point, my point, is that it's a relatable response. You know, Christ calls each of us, his disciples, to, to carry their crosses, and to follow him, and to not be ashamed of him and his word, and to repent and believe his gospel. Uh, and the life of a Christian disciple. It's not, it's not promised to be one of financial prosperity, emotional stability, uh, physical vitality, but, but, but one of hardship, a sacrifice, self-denial, disappointment, uh, loneliness, persecution. Following Jesus is hard. You know that. We know that. And because of our sin and the sin of others, uh, we naturally, we, we shy away from, from what it looks like and from living boldly uh, for Jesus. And all of us, at various times, we'll look back with sorrow uh, uh, at our failures. Look forward in dread for, for what might come next. Something worse. This is the same coming back at us again and again. I reckon Mark wrote his gospel partly to help Christians understand what following Jesus would actually look like. How difficult it would be. How, how, how difficult, how hard it is, I'm sure, for for some, if not all of us, here this morning. I mean, do you ever find yourself worrying that um, finding discipleship hard somehow disqualifies you from being a Christian, like you're some kind of subpar Christian for, for just struggling? That your faith might, might actually end up being superficial or counterfeit? I mean, I, I know I do. And, and I think in, this, in these women, we, we see... We see those failures. We see those fears. But here's where our comfort, our hope comes from. We don't find it in ourselves. We don't find our comfort, our hope in our track record for the kingdom, in our good works. We find it in another, in Jesus, in the one who rose from the dead, in his response to his own resurrection. That's where we'll find comfort and hope this morning and for the week ahead. You see, to, to know his response is to find strength and grace in him, from him to carry on, to overcome our failures, 
Again, look back again to, to verses 6 to, six to 8, those final few verses. It does seem bizarre, doesn't it, that Mark would so abruptly end his gospel with that note of, of fear um, on verse 8. So it does seem that the story just stops. And that's probably why the, the, the early church, uh, some early believers, um, wrote this kind of little longer uh, ending to kind of fill in what they perceive might be the gaps. So w- what's going on? Well, again, if you've ever kind of read through Mark, you may have noticed that sometimes Mark, when he wants to kind of make a big point, he kind of squeezes an important part of the story between, between two similar stories. To, to focus your attention on what's going on uh, in the middle. Um, you can think of it like a, like a ham sandwich, tuna sandwich or whatever. You, you know, the, the focus of the sandwich is the meat in the middle. The, the two bits of bread, basically, that's there to make you enjoy the middle. So there's, there's two, two stories, um, similar stories. The woman arrive and they panic. And then after, the woman flee in fear. Focuses our attention on that little bit in the middle. The announcement of Jesus' resurrection. It's in this preached word that we meet the Jesus who's not really written in the story. Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, has been raised from the dead. Did you hear how Jesus is described there after he rose from the dead? The one who was crucified. Even after his resurrection, after he's risen from the dead, his identity is still bound to the fact of his death. Who is the one who rose from the dead? The one who died for sinners. Who gave his life as a ransom for many. And forever, the name of the resurrected one is the crucified one. Are you a sinner? He died for sinners. Are you weak? He died for the weak. He who lives, who is no longer in the tomb, but is out and about, at work in the world today, at work in your life... Is he who died for you? And he who died for you is he who lives for you in heaven at the right hand of the Father. As, as I read this, uh, this chapter, I, I find it strange that, that you know, there's not really, we don't meet Jesus in the text. He's, he's not there. You, you, know, you might even expect um, that when they show up to the tomb, he's risen from the dead. He might kind of be sitting there Maybe arms folded, legs crossed, big front on his face, waiting for those who betrayed him to come groveling back and with a big I told you so on his face. But we don't find Jesus waiting for the, those who betrayed him to come to him. He doesn't wait for them to make the first move. Rather, rather he has taken the initiative and he has gone to meet those who betrayed him. He goes to find them, but, but not in anger. He goes to find them in love. And did you catch what the angels uh, said of Jesus? He said Jesus is off to his disciples. And Jesus still claims these, uh, the 12 men as his own, even though every one of them disowned him. And Peter, Peter's even named specifically in the passage. The last time Mark mentioned Peter was back when Peter betrayed him. It was as if he just disappeared. He'd been forgotten. But no, Jesus had not forgotten him. Now Jesus, his master, is going back to him, not in wrath, but in mercy. Having died for Peter, Christ now lives for Peter. He goes to him to forgive him, to welcome him, uh, to use him. Now, uh, we know this. 
because he's going to meet them in Galilee. What's so special about that? Well, Galilee, that was the place Jesus had lived with his disciples, had fellowship with them, and worked with them, eaten with them. Galilee and Mark's gospel, it was the place of ministry, service, discipleship, fellowship with Christ. I don't know if you remember the, the end of John's gospel. All the disciples, they're, they're, they're cowering, uh, afraid, scared in the room behind a locked door. Jesus appears to them. The very first words he says to these men, peace, peace be with you. You see, Jesus he isn't waiting for us to have good weeks behind us or, or a plan for, for a good week ahead of us before he comes to us. Rather, Jesus, he comes to us who have let him down. He comes to us who have failed him with grace to forgive us, a power to support us. Just as he went before his disciples and Peter to Galilee, he, 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 you can say he goes before us uh, to lead us, to lead us in our service, our discipleship, before us, not in the sense that he's kind of run on ahead and he's shouting behind, come on, catch up, hurry up. But before us, to, to meet us, to be with us, to hold our hands, to, to help us stand, to lift us up, that we might walk in faith and love and hope. He who was raised from the dead is he who was crucified for us. He gave his life as a ransom for us. He has overcome death for us. He is now alive to help us. Neither our weaknesses nor our failures disqualify us, can ever disqualify us from his mercy. He came not for the successful, for the strong, but the right, uh, or the righteous. He came for sinners. And brothers and sisters, you, you are his and he, the risen one, the crucified one is yours. So as, as we look back at the week just gone, it's tempting just to focus on, on the failures and the faults, isn't it? The, the, the unkind words, the tantrums, the jealousy. And Christ tells us, we'll, we'll look back further. Look back further than last week. Look to my death and resurrection. Behold the crucified one, alive and going ahead of you, alive to forgive you, and alive to help you. As we think about the days ahead of us, Again, it's, it's all too easy to be overcome with dread. The same temptations raising their ugly head. This is the relentless daily grind. Whatever physical, mental, emotional challenges we, we, we may face at home or at work. Christ tells us, I'm ahead of you, before you. I will meet you and be with you. By my spirit, the Holy Spirit, I am always with you to the very end of the age. He's not waiting for you to, to make yourself good enough for him any more than he waited for his disciples and Peter to reform themselves before he went to them. Jesus of Nazareth is alive. And not written in the story because he's, he's, he's out in the world by his spirit. Yes, he's seated at the right, hand, the right hand of the Father in heaven, but he's at work in the world even now by his Holy Spirit. In Mark's gospel, it kind of does feel unfinished, I think deliberately, because we can't, we can't simply just close the book in God's grace. We can't simply just end what Christ is doing and saving us and helping us and being with us. For right now, having completed the work of salvation, having died on the cross, done all that needs to be done to forgive us our sins, at the right hand of the Father, Christ is interceding for you, working by his Holy Spirit 
to raise our eyes to him, to help us trust in him and live for him. And you, you could almost say if you wanted to, that it's like you know, the, the Holy Spirit is still writing the end of Mark's gospel in, in our lives. So the week ahead, with the week behind us, let's, let us look, look to him. Look to him who died for us, who is alive to help us. Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, who is alive. And let each of us rest in his mercy and strength. Now let's, let's pray that he would help us do that this week. Come thy fount of every blessing. Tune our hearts to sing your grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. O to grace, how great a debtor, daily we're constrained to be. Let your goodness, Lord, like a fetter, bind our wandering hearts to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. Here are our hearts, Lord, take and seal them. Seal them for your courts above. Our Father, right now this morning, we want to confess our sins together and acknowledge our weakness as believers. We want to thank you and praise you for, for raising Christ Jesus from the dead, for giving him new life and giving us new life through our faith in him. Uh, this week, help each of us to, to look to Christ, the one who died for us and who lives for us. Have mercy on us for our sins and in him, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit given to us, by the power of the Spirit who raised him from the dead, empower us to live for your glory. Comfort us as we think of how we have failed you. May we know forgiveness in the name of Christ. We may, know, may we know your love. May we know you more. In the name of the living Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.